You may not be familiar with the name Rosaria Butterfield, but her life was transformed by hospitality. Rosaria was a champion for uh, uh, liberal ideology. She was passionate about being an advocate for the LGBTQ community. She was in a committed lesbian relationship. She was a tenured professor at Syracuse University for the women's what a right movement and everything that was taking place. And in the late 1990s, she decided, I am going to write about why the far right, especially the Christians, hate people like me. What was also taking place in the late 1990s was this big movement called Promise Keepers. You might be familiar with it. They were packing out stadiums where groups of men would come together and sing songs to Jesus and figure out how to love their wives better, be more impactful in their homes, be men of integrity in the workplace or wherever God would keep them. And she was thinking, enough of this evil patriarchy. I have to put a stop to this. And so she decided in New York to write a letter to the local newspaper. And in this local newspaper, she condemned the Promise Keepers movement and said, this is what's wrong with the patriarchy and with Christianity in general. As you can imagine, it was a pretty divisive letter to the newspaper. And the mail just came pouring in. And the mail was on two sides. One side was saying, Rosaria, you are right. Thank you for putting these people in their place. Thank you for letting them know that the way they're treating others is not okay. But on the other side, people were saying, are you crazy? Do you know what Promise Keepers is doing? Do you know what's taking place? Why are you condemning them? Slowly, the letters started to end in a trickle and one letter came in that she was not expecting. This letter came from a reformed Presbyterian minister in the community. And there was no uh, placement of uh, ideology on her. He treated her with respect. He showed her uh, love and grace. And at the end of this letter, he said, I would like to invite you to come over to my place for supper so we can talk about your ideas and your thoughts further and maybe we could understand each other more effectively. At first, Rosaria took the letter, crumpled it up and threw it in the, in the bin. But a day or two later, she thought, no, 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 if I'm gonna write a paper about the religious right, I need to go into the heart of the beast. I should go and meet with this individual. And so she grabbed the letter, she uncrinkled it, and she wrote him back and said, I would like to come to your place for dinner. Standing at his door on the outside, she thought, what am I doing? This is a horrible idea. But eventually she knocked and went inside and this couple showed her incredible love. They had found out her dietary restrictions so that everything on the table she was able to eat. She found out, they found out that she cared deeply about the environment and so they only had the lights on where they were in the dining room and the air conditioner was set at a reasonable temperature. And they showed her love and grace. And they said, tell us about your life. Tell us about your field of study. Tell us about what you're doing. Why do you think things are going wrong in this world? And what can we do to develop a relationship? She said she was shocked. And what was a one-time standing event became a weekly meeting where they would gather together regularly. Eventually, her and the pastor's wife became good friends. They would hang out together, spend time shopping together, meet each other's friends, and do book exchanges. Eventually, Rosaria became a Christian. This is what she writes in her conversion story. Because they did not invite me to church, I knew it was safe to be their friend. It was a friendship without agenda. Last week, Dennis stood up and he talked to us about women, uh, about having interactions with others so that they don't feel like they are a program or a project. How do you do that? You love the person right in front of you. 
Now, eventually, Rosaria was invited to church, but it wasn't the first thing they did. The first thing they did was open their doors and say, we wanna show you what Christian hospitality looks like. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm really excited about this sermon. I think hospitality can literally change the world. It changed Rosaria Butterfield, who's now a devout Christian in writing about hospitality. God, may you open up our minds, our hearts, and our homes so that we can share the love of Jesus with friends, with families, and with people who don't know you yet. We pray, God, that by the power of your spirit, you would change our hearts, you would change our lives, and we would be transformed by an inescapable mission and a passion to know you more. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name, amen. If you have your Bibles with you, our passage today is really short. You might even have it memorized by the end. We're in Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'll put those two verses on the screen behind me so it'll be really easy to follow. But here's what you need to know. The book of Hebrews, we don't know who the author is, has one big idea. Chapter 13 is the final chapter. It's kind of a summary of everything that's taken place so far. But for the first 12 chapters, the author of Hebrews is saying, here's one idea that I want you to know. He's writing to a Jewish audience. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than Moses who gave us the law. Jesus is greater than the law because he's the fulfillment of the law. Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is greater. And if you believe this, Jews, if you believe this people 2,000 years after it was written, then understand this. If you believe this to be true, then we need to go show the love of Jesus with others. <coughs> this is the good news from the book of Hebrews. Now, um, over the last couple of weeks, we've been going through this idea of an inescapable mission. We started two weeks ago by saying there is a great exchange. And uh, we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Not only has God given us this incredible gift through his son, but he has called us ambassadors. We are on this inescapable mission. Last week, Dennis came up and he talked about this idea of the art of neighboring. And we took that idea, the art of neighboring, and we're using it today, the art of hospitality. Next week, the art of conversation. And closing this series, Pastor Joel will talk about the art of invitation. And because I'm a good Baptist pastor, it's alliteration for you all day so you can follow along easily. We're gonna look at the purpose of hospitality, the posture of hospitality, the practice of hospitality. This is Hebrews 13, one to two. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers for their boy, some have entertained angels unaware. Since Jesus is greater, how are we going to respond? This passage is saying we need to show hospitality to others. In other words, the purpose of hospitality is to show the love of Jesus. The purpose of hospitality, the reason we have people in our homes is so people would see the love of Jesus. One of my favorite passages on love, I talk about it regularly, you may have seen me put it on the screen behind me, is from John chapter 13. A new command I give you, says Jesus, talking to his disciples at the Last Supper. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. For those of you who enjoy original language, this next part is beautiful. You look at verse one and, and you see this idea of continually showing one another brotherly love. 
And it's a, a word in Greek that all of us in this room are familiar with. It's Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. What you might not know is that verse two also has this idea of love. The phrase hospitality to strangers is only one word in the original language, philozenia. Philadelphia, philozenia. Verse one, continue loving, philo, your brother, Delphia. Verse two, don't neglect loving, philo again, the stranger, Xenia. Continuing our English lesson for just a moment, if that idea, Xenia, sounds familiar, uh, it's because xenophobia is the fear or the hatred towards strangers. Back to the book of Hebrews. Because Jesus is so great, we must show love. We need to show love to those who are inside the family of God. We must show love to those outside the family of God. The world will be changed because of hospitality. In the ancient world, travel was incredibly dangerous. You couldn't trust inns because people would steal from you, rob from you. They might be expensive. There might not be an inn in the town that you're going to visit. So for both Jews in the Old Testament and Christians in the New Testament, hospitality was highly regarded by many even considered a religious obligation. If you love God, open up your homes to others. The phrase in 13 verse two, some have entertained angels is uh, re referring to Genesis chapter 18 and 19. And if you don't know the story, it's pretty amazing. In Genesis chapter 12, God shows up to Abraham and he makes him a threefold promise. Abraham, I will bless you. You will be the father of a great nation. You will have many children and you will be incredibly rich. Over the next five chapters, we see only one of these come to fruition. Abraham has wealth. But him and his wife, Sarah, are thinking, we're old. We're 99 years old. We're 90 years old. How is this going to take place? How is this going to happen? And so in Genesis chapter 18, Jesus and two angels show up. Immediately, Abraham gets up and he meets them. And Jesus looks at him and says, one year from now, you will have a child. The very next chapter, we see angels again. Chapter 19, verse one, two angels arrive at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting at the gate of the city. When he saw them, he got to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. Now the scriptures don't lay out step-by-step -step instruction as to how hospitality is to take place, but there's a cultural protocol that's expected. If you enjoy taking notes, you'll wanna follow along with this. The first is the invitation phase. A weary traveler would arrive at the outside gate. And for those of you who are taking notes, you can put a note beside there. There's some foreshadowing that's taking place. They would stand outside the city gate. They would go outside to the city well, and they would wait there. And people who had the gift of hospitality, people who had an open evening, people who knew that there was space in their house would often go outside the city gate and they would wait. They would see if somebody needed to be invited. You see this not only in Genesis 19 with Lot, but you see it in Genesis chapter 24. Abraham's servant goes to a place looking for his son Isaac to be married and he waits at the well and somebody comes out to him. In Genesis chapter 29, Jacob is fleeing his, um, because he thinks his brother is going to kill him, and he waits at a well waiting for his uncle Laban to be there. In Exodus chapter two, we see Moses fleeing from Pharaoh, arrives in Midian, waits at a well, hoping someone will invite him in. Second part is the screening phase. You might have a letter of recommendation. You might be a pastor who's traveling or a Christian, and you know some popular rabbis, and so you say, hey, I have this letter. 
When Jacob is fleeing from his brother, thinking Esau is going to kill him, his mom says to him, Jacob, here's what I want you to do. Go to the land where my brother Laban is and say, I am your sister's son. Invite me in. It's a screening process. Do I believe that these people can be trusted, especially in the first century when persecution's taking place all over? You want to know that the person you're inviting into your house isn't there to do something terrible to you. The third part is the provision. We saw this with Lot in Genesis 19, verse two. He says to the angels, come to my house, wash your feet, have something to eat, and I'll send you away in the morning. In Exodus chapter two, when Moses is waiting at this well, hoping somebody will invite him in, Jethro, one of the priests of Midian, says to his daughters, well, where is he? Why did you leave him there? Invite him here to have something to eat. The purpose of hospitality is to show the love of God. But it's not just this human hospitality that's taking place. There's a divine hospitality that's taking place. Eventually, Moses takes the people um, uh, out of Egypt and they're wandering through the desert. And as they enter, uh, they are standing on the cusp of the promised land. God says this through his servant Moses. The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords. The great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes, He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and love the stranger. Give him food and clothing and you are to love those who are strangers for you yourselves were strangers in Egypt. God is passionate about hospitality. We're gonna continue talking about this, but there's something beautiful that happens when we arrive in the New Testament. For those of you who weren't with us back in winter, we were looking at Jesus in the book of Luke and we called it a game changer because Jesus shows up and everything changes. His first public appearance is in Luke chapter four and he unrolls the scroll of Isaiah and to everybody who is there, he says to them, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The very next chapter in Luke chapter five, he goes and he eats with sinners and the religious leaders are thinking, what are you doing? Last week, Dennis talked about this um, with us at great length today. Very quickly, in Luke chapter 10, he makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. Do we love the stranger? In Luke chapter 15, we have all those who are lost are searched out and welcomed. It's the trifecta of beautiful parables. Of the 99 sheep, one is gone, and the shepherd goes and looks for him. Of the 10 coins, one is lost, And the woman goes and sweeps it up and when she finds the coin, throws a huge party. And then the two sons, one is gone, comes home and his father welcomes him with open arms and throws a party. But it doesn't stop there. In Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus climbs a tree and he meets with Jesus. Jesus comes to his house and says, today salvation has arrived in your house. In Luke uh, chapter 22, we have the institution of the Lord's Supper and Jesus takes his 12 disciples and he shows them what hospitality looks like. He washes their feet. He provides them for a meal and he says, this is my body broken for you and this cup represents my blood which will be shed for you. In Luke chapter 24, on the road to Emmaus, he meets two strangers and he talks with them. And do you remember when their eyes were opened? Not when they're walking, but when they sit down and have a bite to eat. The purpose of hospitality is to show the love of God. What's the posture of hospitality? Back to Hebrews. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality of strangers for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. In other words, love your friends 
Love the stranger. Open your house. The posture of hospitality starts with loving others. Now, if you've been with us throughout the process of this sermon series, you might be thinking, Dave, you guys have been talking about love a lot. I know. It's because if we are truly captured by an inescapable mission, we are going to show the love of Jesus to everybody we meet. We are going to show the love of Jesus first to our family because they are our inner circle and sphere of influence. And we're going to show love to our neighbors, those who are living right next to us. And we're going to show love to the people we go to school with, play with, go to work with. We have to show the love of Jesus to everybody we meet. The first part of this sermon series, the outline was compelled by love. When Dennis stood up last week, he said, when Dave started the sermon series, he talked about love and we're going to continue to do that today. And here we are, the third weekend, do you love others? I was talking to one of my friends between services, I think two weeks ago, and I said, I feel like the first question we should ask potential staff hires is, do you love people? Because that will change everything. We talked a lot about love in this series. Talked about the greatest commandment in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 and following. And Jesus says, do you love God and do you love people? We talked about our mission statement as a church. We exist. The reason we're here as a church is to love God, love people, and serve the world. I mentioned earlier in in this passage that John 13 is one of my favorite passages of love. Romans 13, we have in verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continual debt to love one another. Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples, writes this in his first letter, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality towards one another without grumbling. I love that phrase, without grumbling. It's like Peter acknowledges, okay, okay, okay. There's some people, hospitality is really easy. Some people, not so much. About a uh, last uh, Christmas, uh, Jenna and I, my wife and I, went out on a double date with good friends, and we went to the keg, and we had thought we were there for about an hour and a half. Three hours had gone by, and we were laughing, and we were joking, and we were talking serious about church and life and things that are happening. Even our server said, you've been here a long time, but it's been a joy to serve you. But then there's some real challenges. Sometimes we open up our homes and we go, this is hard work. It's hard work to clean. It's hard work to meal prep. It's hard work because we don't always get along perfectly with everybody we invite or we know their kids and our kids don't mesh entirely. So how do we get better at hospitality? Did you know that there's one way to get better at anything? That almost sounds like this set up for a bad joke, doesn't it? But it's true. There's one way to get better at anything. It's only two words. It's deliberate practice. So think about it. When you're, uh, maybe you really enjoy music. How do you get better at playing guitar? You deliberately practice. If you really love sports and you're a big basketball player and you want to get better at basketball, how do you get better? It's deliberate practice. You're going to dribble more, shoot more, pass more, learn how to set screens. Think about your job. You weren't an expert on the very first day you showed up, but it was through deliberate practice. So we are going to get really practical. How do you deliberately practice hospitality? My friends, many of us in this room, myself included, for those of you watching online, we are out of practice. So start easy. 
in the month of September, invite over some good friends, some good family members, people you know you can have an easy relationship with, and invite them into your home and have a good time, get to know them, talk with them, laugh with them, have fun, enjoy being present with them. And then in October, expand that circle a little bit. Maybe there's somebody in the church foyer and you think, man, I talk with them every week. I should just have them over to my home. Maybe there's a coworker you really enjoy or the neighbor you talk over the fence with regularly and you think they've never been inside my house. And so in October, maybe it's Thanksgiving dinner, you say, why don't you come over? We'd love to have you. If that seems a little bit difficult for you, invite a buffer friend. Invite some really good friends and some um, friends that are going to only become better friends. And then when we get to Christmas, how can you expand that circle even bigger? Christmas is the perfect time to do this because it just naturally says we're going to have parties. So invite the guy from work that you've never hung out with before. Invite the lady from your book study that you've never had into your home. Maybe your kids are playing hockey and you've got to know a couple of the parents. Say, hey, why don't we have three, four families from the hockey team over to our place and show them what hospitality looks like. It's by deliberate practice that this will become easier and easier for us to do. Alan Hirsch, who thinks and writes regularly about being churches on mission, says this, I love this quote, if every Christian family in the world simply offered good conversational hospitality around a table once a week to neighbors, we would eat our way into the kingdom of God. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, though. That's the practice of hospitality. And I said, let's focus on posture. Do you love people enough to create margin and space in your schedule? Do you love people enough to create margin and space in your schedule? One of the benefits of the lockdown during the pandemic, and I had this conversation with dozens of people, is, oh, life has slowed down. We're not out of the house every night of the week. We're not running to different sports and dance recitals and practices. We can finally breathe. We can focus on a hobby. Maybe we can start working out. Well, on the other side of lockdown, has your life got back to that frenzied pace again? Don't let it. We're a large church. Every night from Monday till Friday, our church is bustling with activity. We rarely have activities on Saturday. That is deliberately set up. Now you might say, well, Dave, there's training day next week. Yep, there's training day. But no more than once a month do we have activities here on Saturdays, and that's done very much on purpose. Spend time with your family. Spend time with your friends. Get to know your neighbors. Go outside and meet those who are around you. We want to create space for this. During the sermon series on hospitality, I talked about my friend Hilda from a previous church I was at. And Hilda um, is now in her 80s, and I am not exaggerating. I would say 50 Sundays of the year, open table on Sunday. And it was a privilege to go to her house on numerous occasions. She also hosted uh, a small group every Wednesday night. And this was a passion for hers to always have her home open. Well, a few years ago, I met her son, Jim. And Jim would be right around 60 years old. And I had no one of Jim. I had been um, friends with Hilda for a number of years, and I had the privilege of meeting Jim and his wife, Teresa. And one of the first things you ask is, hey, like, do you have any kids or anything like that? And they said, yeah, we have four, three homemade and one kind of adopted. And you hear that and you go like, what do you mean kind of adopted? And so they said, we got a story for you. When our kids were in elementary school, the, uh, one of the neighborhood girls was regularly over at our house. 
And they would play with our kids and laugh with our kids. And one day, her parents tragically died. We didn't know her family very well, but we thought, well, we know this little girl and we're going to support her at her, at her parents' funeral. So the girl, I believe, was in grade two, grade three, something like that. And they sat there for the funeral, sat there for the reception. And as the reception was coming to a close, this little girl looked and says to them, well, mom and dad, when are we going home? And Jim and his wife, Teresa, said, we need to make space. And said, for the last 20 years, this girl has been a part of their family. Do you have space? Do you have margin to practice hospitality in your life? Hospitality is not just opening your home. It's showing others the incredible love of Jesus. Two thoughts before we move on. I wish I had more time to unpack this, but we've got a ministry fair to talk about as well. First thing, some of us in this room are struggling financially. This past week, one of my friends was telling me, Dave, I read an article that said one out of five Canadian families have to decide, are we going to pay rent or are we going to put food on the table? I'd imagine many of you are in the same spot I am, that from February to May, our household costs went up hundreds of dollars. Some of us can absorb that, some of us can't. And if you're sitting here and you're going, Dave, I don't have any money, I don't have any way of knowing how I'm going to pay my next bill, talk to somebody at the ministry fair. We as a church would love to help you. But beyond that, hospitality doesn't mean you invite somebody over for ribs and an expensive bottle of wine. Hospitality can be incredibly simple. Hospitality can be, man, I cook the best hot dogs on my barbecue and I will buy you fresh buns from co-op and that's what hospitality looks like. Hospitality can mean you invite somebody over for a games night. Hospitality can mean, hey, come over to my place, come at 7, 7.30, we'll have coffee and pie and it doesn't cost much at all. Remember, we're talking about the art of hospitality. So what does that look like for you? Second thing, some of you are thinking to yourselves, Dave, I don't have a very nice place. I live with my parents. My spouse isn't a Christian. I don't know if I feel comfortable having people in my house. I love you. Stop making excuses. This great quote from Nathan Budge. Jesus was the picture of hospitality, but had no place to lay his head. One of the most meaningful times of hospitality in my own life was I was probably in my mid to late 20s and I had a pretty lame dating life. If you talk to my wife, she might say, Dave, we still have a lame dating life. <laughs> but I had just come off of a date where um, someone had either broken up with me, a girl had stood me up. I can't remember the exact situation. And I called my buddy, Tim, and I said, Tim, this is what happened. He goes, oh, Dave, I'm so sorry. Where are you? And I said, I'm at my place. He goes, I'll be there in 15 minutes. I'm going to take you out to Swiss Chalet for some good Christian chicken. It'll make you feel better. And so he picked me up, and down the block from my house was a Swiss Chalet. And we sat down. He goes, Dave, order whatever you want. It's on me. And for the next hour, hour and a half, we just talked. And I whined, and I'm sure I had a bit of a pity party about my singleness, and Tim made me laugh, and Tim hung out with me. And in that moment, he showed me what hospitality looks like. You might not have a house where you want to invite people in, 
It might be an awkward living situation. That's okay. Take someone out to Tim Hortons, spend five bucks on two coffees, and show that person what the love of Jesus looks like. The purpose of hospitality, the posture of hospitality, the practice of hospitality. Hebrews 13, one more time. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. We are going to get really practical here. Some of you take notes, some of you don't. If you don't take notes, grab your phone, open the apps, grab the notes section. You got to write this down. Grab something in front of you to write on. We are going to look at this and we have to talk about it. Who are you going to invite to your house? Who are you going to invite? They can't just be some fairy idea up in the sky. Who are you going to invite to your house? Is it that place where you're out of practice? And you know what? You think, I'm just going to invite my brother and his wife or whatever the case might be. I'm going to invite my neighbor. I'm going to invite over one of my really good friends. We're just going to have somebody in our house. For some of you, you're already doing this regularly, and that's too easy. We learned last week from Dennis that only 10% of people know their neighbors' names. Is it time to invite one of your neighbors over? Is it time to invite a coworker over and to say, hey, come over, let's hang out, let's have a good time together? Second thing, when are you gonna invite them over? I'm not letting you off the hook, church family. When is this going to happen? If we are captured by this inescapable mission, if we say Jesus has so transformed our lives that we need to take that love and to show it to others, we need to be serious about it. It can't just be, who are you going to invite? When are you going to do this? If you're sitting beside your spouse, say, when is this going to happen? By the end of September? By Thanksgiving? Maybe it's for Thanksgiving. And you look at all the new Canadians that are in our church and you say, maybe they haven't had turkey and mashed potatoes before. This Thanksgiving they are. And you are going to show them the love of Jesus through hospitality. Third thing, how are you going to show that hospitality? What are you going to do? Is this a meal on Sunday after church? Is this Friday night after a wonderful week at work or at home that you're going to invite somebody into your home? Is this Thanksgiving weekend where you say, yep, I like that idea. There's going to be a brand new family sitting around my dinner table on Thanksgiving. My friends, if we are captivated by this inescapable mission, if we say we are going to show the love of Jesus, that not only does it feel like we enter home when we come into this building, but it feels like home and we enter into our house and everybody who comes in is already a friend. If you're brand new to Ellerslie, if you're just checking us out in person or you're checking us out online, we talk about Jesus a lot. Not just through the gospel of Luke and I am seeing that I am in red, which means I am going over really quick, tech team. Listen to this, Hebrews 13, verses 11 and following. The bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest is a sacrifice for sin or burned outside the camp. What does that mean? Look at the next two verses. Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. Do you see how beautiful this is. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son 
on a rescue mission. And though this world was created by him, the world did not know him, the world ignored him. And so Jesus left the city of David, Jerusalem. He walked outside the gate. He placed himself upon a cross. He died for us to bring us home. Jesus is the ultimate picture of hospitality. And it is stunningly beautiful. May we go and do likewise. Heavenly Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for how awesome you are and for showing us incredible love. May you be glorified by how we live our lives and may you empower us to open our homes to show the hospitality and the love of Jesus to our brothers and to the strangers who aren't yet friends. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.